guys. For week two of ABCs of Financial Freedom, we are hitting the B today. We're going to hit the B. And uh, I remember when I was uh, little in my neighborhood, there was like 25 or so kids. And I was like one of the youngest. Me and my brother were the youngest kids in the neighborhood. And everybody else was, you know, when we were in early elementary school, they were middle and high school. And so we ended up hanging out with these kids. That, and there were some good things that came from that. There was a lot of bad things that came from that too, uh, as you can uh, imagine. But that was kind of the environment we grew up with. And, and the thing is, is when you kind of are at that age and you're growing up around kids that are uh, older than you, uh, like if you're, if you're around kids that are your same age, when you say something dumb, they're not surprised because they're the same age and they say the same dumb kind of things. But when you're around an older crowd, like you're around teenagers and as a fourth or fifth grader, they say, you know, I say something dumb, they call you on it and they make fun of you. And so you have to kind of learn some street smarts and kind of how to be smart about those emotional and relational encounters. And so I developed some of, some of that stuff at that stage. I, I mentioned a couple of weeks ago too that um, when I was a kid, I was always that kid that wanted to hang out with the adults. Anybody else? Was I the only one? I don't know if there were some of you that wanted to be at the adults table and like they tried to shoo me away and I was like, I just kind of want to hang here. And, uh, and I just sat around and I think I learned a lot through that, even though that's like, kid, don't quit. You don't want to grow up too soon and go play with your friends. But that, that's where I was. And, and I remember, I can think back to when I was in like early in like uh, young years in elementary school and it, and it happened in middle school and it happened in, in high school and college and and there was this phrase where people would just come alongside and tap me on the back and be like you're so much wiser than your years and and I didn't know what that meant at that time uh, but I think it, it was a little bit product of my environment um, that I had spent so much time around the table with adults I'd been made fun of so much by teenagers that I could kind of act the part and so I don't think they I didn't even know what that meant at that time so I think I just looked more wise than what I actually was you know we got to learn wisdom uh, over time uh, but as time has gone on I feel that there is this deep calling and there's this impression, and when God branded us Fathom Church, Fathom means to understand. And this is a part of what I feel is part of my, my teaching and the way that God's created me and that for us to be able to live as the family of God, as Fathom family, to be able to be people of wisdom. And this is something that I want to just apologize that I don't feel like I've taught enough on what wisdom is. In fact, over the past six years, uh, six plus years, I can't think of one time I've taught on wisdom. And like, that's kind of depressing for me and like kind of sad. Uh, and so I want to uh, lean into that and kind of make up for lost time today. And so you're going to get a ton of Proverbs and ton of wisdom. Uh, and, and before we do, I want to look at a few quotes that you'll find familiar names and ones that you can really recognize on people who at the time, they were the wisdom of the age. And as time went on, it proved to be so false. Uh, so false. And so we'll look at, at some of these. I think you'll uh, enjoy these. The first one comes from Popular Mechanics Magazine from 1949. Computers in the future may weigh more than one and a half tons. Anybody got one of those? Like, can you imagine that? 3,000 pounds of a computer. It's like a pound and a half in your pocket right now. Uh, but that was the wisdom of the time. This was like the magazine that everybody looked to in 1949 uh, for that. Uh, our next one, there's no reason anyone would want a computer in their home. Ken Olson, president, chairman, founder of Digital Equipment Corporation, 1977. That was not that long ago. Why would anybody want a computer in their home? And like probably everybody in this room has one or has had one or you've got one in your classroom. 
This telephone has too many shortcomings to be seriously considered a means of communication. The device uh, is inherently of no value to us. Western Union Internal Memo 19, or 1876. Okay, so we're going to start doing something as we go here. After we get one of these, now you understand how these work. After we read it, we need to go, nailed it. Can you guys help me with that? Because I think this is kind of add a little life to it here. Okay, um, let's look at the next one. The wireless music box has no imaginable commercial value. Who would pay for a message sent to nobody in particular? David Sarnoff's associates in response to his urgings for investment in the radio in the 1920s. He nailed it. You guys are getting that. That was quick. First service took a lot longer to figure that out. But uh, uh, the concept is interesting and well-formed, but in order to earn a better than a C, the idea must be feasible. This is what a uh, Yale University professor, Ivy League, in response to Fred Smith's paper proposing reliable overnight delivery service, Smith went on to found FedEx. Nailed it. (laughs) Yeah, I missed that one. Imagine how much... uh, he feels like a dunce. Uh, we don't like their sound. Guitar music is on the way out. Decca Recording Company rejecting the Beatles in 1962. Nailed it. They nailed it. So we went to Atari and said, hey, we've got this amazing thing. You've been built with some of your parts. And, and what do you think about funding us? Or we'll give it to you. Uh, we just want to do it. Pay our salary. We'll come to work for you. And they said, no. no. So then we went to HP and they said, hey, we don't need you. You haven't, you haven't gotten through college yet. Steve Jobs, <laughs> him and uh, Steve Wozniak went on to found Apple. They, 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 they missed that one. Stocks have reached what looks like a permanently high plateau. Irving Fishers, professor of economics, 1929, right before the Great Depression. Nailed it. Nailed it. X-rays will prove to be a hoax. Lord Kelvin, president of the Royal Society. Uh, unworthy of the attention of practical and scientific men. British Parliamentary uh, Committee report on Thomas Edison's light bulb. Nailed it. Nailed it. And lastly, 640K ought to be enough for anybody. Bill Gates, 1981. Nailed it. Um, no, they didn't. They missed it big. They missed it big. Can you think about with each one of those how much money it cost them? Because they were relying upon the wisdom that they had, the knowledge that they had, and, and uh, they, they had, didn't have the foresight. There's probably a lot of reasons why each one of them missed it. But what I want to talk to us today is about wisdom, because the wisdom of the age and the flow of the culture is not necessarily what God teaches us. And, and uh, wisdom is simply this. Wisdom is the application of pretty elementary principles most of the time. But it's taking stuff you already have, experience you already have, knowledge you already have, the judgment that God has already placed inside of you through discernment and through your own conscience. It's applying those things to different circumstances and situations. That's, that's wisdom. It's the application of pretty elementary things. If you look into the Proverbs, rarely will you find something that's like, whoa, mind blown. It's usually these really basic things as we'll read them through and uh, we become uh, uh, more enabled to understand them as we uh, can let God speak to us over our, each of our situations. Uh, but the Proverbs tell us, and God tells us that the beginning of wisdom, it begins with the fear of the Lord. The fear of the Lord is something that's often under, uh, misunderstood because I think, uh, again, speaking of those um, upbringing years, 
the fear of the Lord was like something my dad put in me uh, when <laughs> I did something I wasn't supposed to do, and he'd look at me and I'm like, oh, that was, that was the fear of the Lord in that moment. And even sometimes maybe you grew up in a, a church environment that the fear of the Lord was like, God's going to strike you dead when you walk out the door. You know, and th- th- there's that kind of fear of the Lord, but the fear of the Lord is like this ultimate reverence that he is Lord, that he is sovereign over all. And I think over time, perfect love casts out fear. And so we, we find ourselves in this ultimate reverence of the sovereign God who's overall and put every star in place. Uh, but it's the beginning of wisdom because it takes humility to say that, to say that I'm not the Lord over all. Like I, I don't have all the knowledge I need. It takes humility. And I think if we looked into each one of those stories, they, they missed it because maybe there wasn't this humility to step back and say, is there something here? Is there something more here? Is there a different path forward? Uh, but they were going from the, the knowledge and understanding they had at that time. And so we're going to dig into this, uh, this part two of uh, the ABCs of financial freedom. Uh, and it's our, it's our B of our series. And I just want to give you a, a sermon today that's just entitled How to Be Wise. How to be money wise. How to be money wise is what we're going to talk about today. And maybe you're in a situation right now with your finances, with a relationship, um, uh, with a work situation, and, and you're trying to figure out the path forward, and you got some ideas, you got some knowledge, you got some good judgment of how this could go, uh, or maybe not. But James 1.5 tells us, if any of you lacks wisdom, if any of you doesn't know how to apply what you have already, then you should just ask God, and he'll give it to you. And so we're never alone in this, even if we feel like we, uh, we're not the wisest person and our track record has shown. We've, we've missed it more times than we've made it. Uh, if any of you needs wisdom, he should just ask for it. She should just ask for it. So let's talk about how to be money wise. This sermon's going to be a little bit different from my normal, and I just want to be super practical and get down into kind of the, the nitty gritty and the practical uh, talk about money. I think whether you're just starting out uh, making money and you're doing babysitting uh, as a young teen or something like that, or even if you're kind of in uh, the end of your working years and, and trying to figure out how to uh, paint the, the, the path forward financially, I think God's going to speak something through it. Uh, this. So let's talk about how to be money wise. Just three quick things today. I say quick. They're never quick. I always want to, you know, there's always more. Uh, but it starts with this. We got to stop digging. If we're going to be money wise, we got to stop digging. This is where we get ourselves in trouble is we find ourselves in a hole and to get out of the hole, we borrow more. And then we're like, we're, we're robbing, you know, Peter to pay Paul and, and we find ourselves in this environment. The average American consumer debt, credit card debt, is like $9,333. That's a a lot of money. Average credit card debt for Americans. Those people who actually have a credit card and who are using it, those are not people that are paying it off every month because they they don't really have any debt. They're just kind of revolving it and paying it off every month. Uh, But those that have debt, the average in America is $9,333. Here in Jacksonville, uh, I think just a couple years ago, it was $6,087 is what we, we owe as an average in our city. Uh, and credit card debt. And so I don't know if you find yourself uh, below average, uh, above average. I don't know where you find yourself today, but wherever you find yourself, um, there is a path forward to financial freedom. And it begins with this. It begins with stop digging. Stop digging. Well, how, how do we do that? Why, you know, why, why do we even keep digging? Why do we find ourselves? Well, there, there's a lot of reasons. And there's, uh, frankly, there's a lot of excuses of why we keep digging. But it really comes down to, again, basic principles. 
And so here's the most basic principle of them all, of building wealth, of, of getting financial freedom, is we got to stop spending more than we make. Like, just like mind blown, right? We got to stop spending more than we make because that's going to keep digging, right? But we find ourselves in this place and, uh, where we just keep digging. Uh, Proverbs 22.7 says, just as, the rule, uh, just as the rich rule the poor, so the borrower is servant to the lender. Just think about it in your heart. Like right now, think about the, the debt you owe. Think about the debt you owe. Uh, maybe it's a credit card. Maybe it's a student loan. Uh, maybe it's a vehicle. Those suffocate us out pretty quick. Uh, w- whatever it is you owe. If all those went away today, what kind of difference would that make in your life? Like just feel like, thank you, Jesus, for that. Like that, we can just imagine what freedom we would experience, even on your home, which is like one of those long-term paid off over a long amount of time, to experience the freedom in that where we wouldn't owe that. What freedom? I mean, think of the thousands of dollars that would be freed up in your budget and your life. Well, how can we get there? Well, I can tell you one way we can't get there, which is to keep spending more than we make. Okay, so we'll start there. It's not, it's not a secret. And so this is maybe your first place of homework, is go look at your accounts over the past three months. I think so many of us, we, we don't tend to the flocks. We'll read a scripture about this. We don't pay attention. And like we, we look up three months, like how is there no money left in the account? And like, well, it's just been going month after month. And we're in this place now where, you know, we've barely got anything left. How did it happen? Well, we didn't know what was going on. We keep borrowing uh, from Peter to, to pay Paul. And so it's not a secret. It's, it's really just common sense. You know, it doesn't take that much wisdom to understand that out. But, but why do we do that? Why do we spend more money uh, than we have or spend money that we, we don't have? I think it comes from a couple things. One, I think, is, is impatience. We're just impatient. Like, we just don't want to wait for it. I mean, just like the kid in the nursery who says, I want it and I want it now. Like, we're, we're no different. We're no different from the prodigal son who finds himself at his, at his father and says, I want my inheritance now. And like, we're just kind of have that same kind of bratty attitude in our life. And, and I'm not pointing at you. Honestly, in my life, I've been having to work through this with our family vehicle. It's a 15-year-old Honda Pilot. Some of you guys have cars that are way older. And some of you guys are like, man, it's time to trade that baby in. You know, but um, I, I have to fight myself every time I have to lean over and open Taryn's, you know, lock manually. Somebody know what I'm talking about. Anybody got a car like that? So every time I have to do that, I just get more impatient. And, and every time we have to do another repair and I get, it, I get more impatient, it builds up in me. And I've got good reason. I've got good excuses. But I'm still driving that thing. It's still got my family here to church, and it's getting us around town, and I haven't had to pay a car payment on it in seven, eight years, something like that. It's a long time. We haven't had to pay. And what freedom we felt. And honestly, if we, we could have, I don't think we probably could have moved in and survived uh, this season uh, into Jacksonville if, if we had um, been spending more uh, than, than what we made. I mean, we, we have not, would not have made it this uh, long. And so uh, I think the second thing, not just impatience, but laziness. I mean, like, sometimes we just got to look ourselves in the mirror and just be like, you being lazy. Like, you just need to get up and cook some dinner, you know? Because I, I think one of the biggest things for Tara and I is like, you know, busy life, you know, three kids. It, it's just easier to go through the drive-thru. 
Like, it's just easier. It's just easier to eat out because I don't have to, like, plan the groceries and I don't have to make time to go get the groceries and, and all those things. And so a lot of times it's, it's impatience or it's, it's a laziness of why we end up spending money we, we don't have is I don't want to wait for it or I just don't want to put in the work that it takes to be financially free. And so the principles are all going to be here. You're going to have all the knowledge you, um, th- that you need. Okay, But whether you have the wisdom you need to apply those things in your life and whether you have the diligence to do those things will be completely up to you. And some of us have this mentality like God's trying to keep something from me. Like It'll never be me. I'll never have that freedom. No, no. The tools are in your hand. Like this... This is a free and open source to each one of us to have every bit of God's wisdom, and it will lead us to a place of financial freedom. But it's, it's not going to happen overnight, and uh, we, we got to start by stop digging, stop spending money we don't have. Secondly, stop trying to impress other people. Um, I love Dave Ramsey's quote for any of you that are going through Financial Peace University or have in the past. Uh, you know he's got this quote that uh, says, uh, we buy things we don't need with money we don't have to impress people we don't like. You know? How often do we find ourselves doing that? I mean, this, this dates back, uh, you know, a long time in which we've been trying to keep up with the Joneses. You know, my neighbor got the big screen TV, and now I want a big screen TV. You know, it happened in the 50s with the color TV or the 60s or whenever that was. Uh, and got the color TV, and the, the, the family across town got one, and we had to go get one. We had to keep up with everybody else. But, but I'm telling you, the, the grass is not green on the other side. It may look like it, but frankly, many times, uh, those that, that seem to have it all at their fingertips just have higher debt than you have. Like statistically, the data is there. They, they just owe a lot more to somebody. They just feel more of a slave than you do. You know, the bigger the numbers, um, the, the more it feels like uh, there is to lose. But uh, some, some of you right now who's like, hey, I haven't made it very far when it comes to my finances. I don't owe a lot, but I don't have a lot to show for it. In fact, you're actually more wealthy than those that have uh, a $3 million loan on a home and a $60,000 loan on a boat. You are more wealthy than they are. Don't let your eyes deceive you. Don't let your, your mind deceive you. Uh, so actually, we, we got to begin to look at that differently, and the grass is going to be green where we water it. And I think there's another couple things that come with that is not just stop trying to impress other people, but we got to stop comparing. If we're going to stop trying to impress other people, we get ourselves in trouble because we're comparing ourselves. Comparing yourself to my fancy 2004, you know, run down Honda Pilot. You're comparing yourself, you know what I mean? You know, we compare ourselves uh, to, to others, and we really get ourselves uh, in trouble when we do that. And it's a heart thing. I think we think it's a money thing, but, like, there's a reason Jesus talks about money so much. It's because it's a heart thing. Like, there's nothing more uh, that... Uh, precious, I feel like in this life to us, and we may say our family and those things, but limited resource, limited resources of time and money. And there's a reason that God gives us principles regarding time and money, the Sabbath and the tithe. There is a reason because there's such scarce resources and we can't get them back. And it says everything about where our heart is. And so I, I think this comparison thing says a lot about what's going on in our mind is really what's coming out of our heart. It's an overflow of the heart. And I, I love uh, Psalm 23. When David is, is pinning this down, uh, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want, as we often quote it. But I love the translation that says, the Lord is my shepherd, I lack nothing. I lack nothing. And, and a lot of times we, we believe that uh, he leads me to green pastures. I, I've talked about this in the past. I, I'll mention it again. 
that green pastures aren't this overflowing thing in ancient Mediterranean society. No, no, have you ever been there, seen pictures of Israel and, and around that? There ain't much grass around. There ain't green pastures around every corner. The green pastures is a little bit of grass up under a rock. That's what it is. Like we lack no, he's just going to lead us to the next place. Why? Because it keeps us in complete trust of him to lead us. But it's this contentment that we must practice if we're going to stop comparing. He says, I don't lack anything. I'm not comparing to anybody else. I'm not trying to impress anybody. I don't lack anything. I got everything I need in Jesus, whether I'm making 10K a year or 100K a year. I'm just as content. Paul said this. He's like, look, I, I've learned to live with a lot and what it means to live with nothing and it doesn't change what's going on in my heart. I, I lack nothing. I, I, I've learned both ways. And so whatever your situation is right now, practice contentment. Don't, don't let your heart compare. Don't let your eyes compare. Because first of all, it's an illusion. It's an illusion that's not true. And, and it's leading your heart away from trusting in God and who he's created you to be in, in the life he's got for you. Second thing is practice gratitude. Is there anything you get more stressed about than money? Probably a couple things from time to time. But when money's an issue, like it, it's stressful. It's daunting. It really begins to grip your heart. And so if, if your trust in a practical, in a very practical sense is not in the Lord, like that all comes out. And I find that even people who, who they have no reason to worry will worry over money um, because they lack gratitude in their life. They lack gratitude. If you're stressed over money, if you're not content in your situation, it's probably because gratitude is not a part of your daily life. Like genuine gratitude. Taryn tells the story much better than than I can, but I remember in, in a season within our church and within our home life, it was like we were searching for the green grass. And it wasn't a big field, it was it was grass under a rock. And we really went through this season and Taryn read this book called uh, A Thousand Gifts. And it's really just about cultivating gratitude. And honestly, it didn't just change our life. I really begin, I believe that it began to change the culture of our church uh, because it really drew our attention to be grateful for the little things. Like, I'm not just going to thank God for the miracle of $10,000. I'm going to thank him for the $10 that's building up to the the $1,000 miracle that he told me about that he promised me. And so I'm going to thank him just as much for the $10 bill over the next year than if I would have gotten the $1,000 check today, you know? And so I can rejoice over just as that, but that comes out of gratitude. It comes out of gratitude. So we got to stop comparing. We got to stop trying to impress other people. We got to stop spending money we don't have. It all boils down to we got, we got to stop digging. Stop digging. Just a simple thought on how to be uh, money-wise, because there's probably a hole in your boat somewhere uh, even if it hasn't leaked out and things aren't overwhelming, I bet if, you, if, bet if you got into it, every single one of us has a hole in our boat, has a hole. And that before we can do anything about it, we got to figure out where's the hole coming from. Uh, this, I've had like a radiator leak for a while. And for those of you like me that don't know much about cars, it's important. Um, <laughs> It cools the engine, and so now I'm very dumb when it comes to cars, like very dumb uh, uh, about them, and so thank, thankful for a couple of guys in the body that really helped me stay on the road and not uh, uh, do stupid things. So <clears throat> anyway, uh, I had to replace this radiator, and the, we, we looked at it. They did a pressure test, and boom, there it comes flying out the bottom. I mean, it was coming out too. There was obviously a leak. There was a hole in it, but it wasn't hard to figure out where it was. And I bet if you went to your budget, it's not going to be hard to figure out where the hole's at. You know, just look at it. Some of the most common places of where those holes in our budget is and our finances 
are eating out. Anybody? Come on. Just like, I'm raising my hand. That's, all, that's always been a one for Tara and I over the course of my, our, our marriage. We love to hang out with you guys, and usually we're like, hey, let's go get something to eat. You know what I mean? So it's just tough. It's a part of our life, and so um, we, we have to really manage that. One of the ways we manage that in our uh, marriage, and Dave Ramsey really teaches these principles in financial peace, and so there's a plug for, you can't get in this cycle now, but for next year, we're going to do it every spring, and so plan to be a part of that. Um, but <clears throat> is to use a cash-based system. So easy to swipe, so easy to do that. But when you get the money on your paycheck, or if you do it for the month, we get, get the whole uh, thing out that we've got for the month uh, for our e- eating out uh, allotment of our budget. And once that money's gone, it's gone. I, we, don't, we don't swipe for the food, for the, for the card. And so uh, it really keeps you really cognizant of how much you're spending there because it's a major hole. Uh, the other one is drinks, beverages. Come on, how many, you, you, you like your Starbucks, you like your soda, you like your sweet tea uh, every time you go out. And the reality, our, our family doesn't drink um, soda very much because of the sugary stuff and because I'm cheap. Uh, and so, but if you go out to a restaurant, have you looked at how much it is for a beverage? I know it gets added on the check and it kind of all gets lumped together, but have you looked at how much they're charging you for it recently? Two fifty, three dollars at a lot of places, three bucks for a soda. Those, you're keeping the restaurant in business through your sodas. And I don't know about you, I like the deal. I like the deal. So I get in there and I get the cheap burger and I get water and I I grab the deal and and I bounce. But the the drinks are such a big deal. Just think about it. We've got a family of five. And so we go out and all five of us get a soda, we get a lemonade, we get uh, a sweet tea or or, or whatever your beverage of choice is. Um, But we we go and it's, it's 10 or $12 just on the drinks. Before like anything else gets tagged onto it, you do that over a month, and we're talking forty to fifty dollars just on the drinks of four meals. And so, if you're showing up fifty bucks short, like there's a good place to start. That's a major hole that it keeps leaking out. And one of the biggest ones is credit card interest. Credit cards are from the devil. They just, they just are, because they allow us to be impatient. They allow us to be lazy. They allow us to keep digging. They allow us to do this. And look, and I've got a credit card, and we use it. We get the points, and we pay it off every month, okay? Just being completely transparent. So some of these guys, Dave Ramsey, is very hardcore, but I'm just being completely transparent. But I can do that. I can do that because we have discipline to pay it off and then not spend more of what we have, and we're very diligent about our budget. Now, if you're really honest with yourself, are you that diligent to pay it off every single month? Like, what's been your track record over the past three years, over the past 10 years, over the past 20 years? Do you have that track record? So what I'm doing... I, you, you want pastor to practice what he's preached, but I'm telling you, use wisdom. You've got the knowledge. Do you trust yourself? Because it's going to be you sitting in the hole, not Pastor Kyle. So you make that choice. Again, all the tools are in your hand. You've got to make the choice for your own life, but we've got to stop comparing. So first thing is figure it out. Uh, fig- figure out where the hole's at. You know, see if there is a hole. Maybe you're doing amazing. And if that is, I'm going to high-five you next Sunday and say, Pastor, we're actually doing good. No holes. But I want to hear some people talking, hey, it's in our drinks, you know, it's, it's in the cable bill that's skyrocketing. It's two or three times. There it is, 200 extra dollars going to Comcast because they need it, you know, poor guys. Um, so second thing, second step, if we're going to be money wise, is uh, we got to keep working on it. We want the overnight fix, don't we? we? We want the freedom to come out, boom, today without any work from us. Isn't that kind of the culture we live in? Like we just want it as easy and as fast as we can get it. But this financial freedom thing is not an overnight fix. It's not. It's, it's going to require us to keep working on it. 
for a decade, for two decades, for three decades. Because even if, if in 2019 God, God did an incredible miracle, right? And every single one of your financial debts, all your spiritual debts are paid in Jesus' name, amen. But all your financial debts were wiped away. Even, come on, everybody celebrate. You guys would come in and praise and rejoice uh, that weekend. Uh, but in 2020, that doesn't mean you're not going to some, do something stupid and get yourself back in debt. Go out and you buy a car you think you can afford and, and you can't. You know, it doesn't, so it's a lifelong journey to not just get financially free, but to stay financially free. And if you look into the, the whole story of, of God's people and his design, and you look in Israel and they were in slavery, God's design was to get them, show that he is good and powerful and able to deliver from slavery. And I believe that means slavery from, uh, from lenders as well, when we follow God's principles. So God doesn't want you just free, he wants you to stay free. He wants you to stay free. And so if we're going to work on it, we got to work on our budget. we got to keep working on it. we got to work on our budget. Two-thirds of Americans, and that's probably true in this room. Maybe we've made some headway, and we're at 50% in this room, maybe. But 50% of us, 65% of us is the national average, don't have a budget that we stick to. So no wonder we're so much in debt. Because we don't have a budget, or if we do have one, we haven't stuck to it. It's just a piece of paper. It's just a file on a spreadsheet, and that's all it means to us. And so I won't go through a whole game plan on setting the budget and how to build that out. I, I, I've done that from time to time. We do that in our small groups with this very practical, set the first fruits uh, uh, first in our budget. And then uh, savings is a big one that I feel like gets overlooked on our budget, and I'll just make a brief mention about that. Uh, experts really say 10 to 15 percent of of what you bring in should go to savings, like for long term and for short term. And, and I'll be honest, like for the the past uh, seven years that Sarah and I have lived here in Jacksonville, that has been very difficult for us to do. And, and it started at a place, and like we looked down and we were given two percent to our savings. That's all we could afford to put back. And maybe you're in that place, and, and that's okay because that's where we were. But every year as it goes on, we're like, we're going to give 3% in our savings. Just like we've done with our giving, we've trusted the Lord in that, we've done that with our savings. And, and I don't want to go into this whole thing, but I'll just tell you this. Our income hasn't changed, um, but, our, uh, but our savings has increased, our debt has reduced, and, and we've given almost like two times as what we started with, almost, um, when it comes to giving. And, and, and nothing's changed. And like, it doesn't make sense. It just doesn't make sense. But God's favor and God's, uh, when we, we trust him in, in those things. Um, so anyway, I say all that to say 1% up in your savings, just a little bit a year. It becomes tangible. 15% from 2% is a long way to go in a budget. Uh, but 1% at a time, we can do that. Money's a big deal. Um, it's a big deal in, in, in marriages, in relationships, uh, is finances. It's one of the number one causes of divorce. And, and I realize probably in this room, you, you know, with some couples that are present, you know, you got one that's a spender and one that's a saver. Uh, we got a game plan together. That we don't have a shared mindset. We don't have a shared principles. We don't have shared values when it comes to finances. It's a major warning sign that, that rough things are ahead when we're not shared there. And so, and I used to be way more kind of chill on this next thing I'm about to say, but I'm a lot less chill <laughs> today uh, than what I used to be. Uh, and that has to do with, uh, with joint accounts. 
So there are uh, different reasons that, that I think uh, advi- uh, financial advisors and different people could say using wisdom, you know, keep your finances separate. You know, the, the, there's some practical and there's some American um, knowledge on this, but, but in, in my opinion, there's no reason for us for long term there may be some short-term things like, hey, we're, we're working to get their credit back up before I mix it with mine and then my, you know, put them on every card in my account and then we won't be able to do what we need to do credit-wise. But if we're living and not spending more than what we have, then we don't really need the credit. <laughs> you know, it makes it tough to get apartments and different things like that. So that's a story for another day. But I, I can't find, if we're going to be spiritually unified, how can we not be financially unified? And so it, it, there's, a, there's a lot of situations in, in which maybe we're in a second marriage or, or we're dealing with debt and stuff like that. But I would even say in those scenarios, we need to set a game plan. Over the next three years, over the next five years, we're, we're going to be unified in our finances. Because here, here's what it does. It, it, it brings a, ta- a seat at the table for the enemy to get a foothold in there. Because um, it's, it's going to allow you to keep score well, these are the bills I'm paying. These are the bills you're doing. And even if right now that's not a negative thing, the enemy will work it in and get you thinking about what you're bringing to the table. I think for the person who maybe makes less in a relationship, it gets that person feeling worthless like they don't add the value because we're keeping score like that. Um, I'd say also it allows us to harbor and keep resentment uh, and keep score and to hold grudges for, yeah, last time I had to bail out the, the bills that you paid. You know what I mean? It just allows so many footholds in there. So even if you've got really practical things in which you're working through uh, in a new relationship or, or, or new marriage, I think over time you need to have a plan to, to be unified. And really it keeps things very transparent. Like do, do we trust each other uh, or, or not? And so uh, it's, it's a number one call. We, we got to have shared values and do it together. Do the work together. So one of you in a relationship is probably better at the money, but both people need to be bought in. Both people need to be working on it and setting the budget together and keeping one another accountable to it. That's how we keep that dissension from taking place in our own home. Uh, so with our budget, just last thought on this is to keep checking on it keep checking on it. You know, you need a checkup, you know, just like you go to the doctor once a year, probably every couple months, three months, you need to, you need to sit down and do it. Some people tell you do it every, um, every month. And maybe you're in that place where you need to do it every month. You may need to do it every single week. If you, you lack discipline and you've kind of got a track record, track record that shows that you need to check it every week. So you need to uh, apply that in, in the way you, you, uh, you need to, but Proverbs 27, 23 and 24 tells us, know the state of your flocks. Uh, and put your heart into caring for your herds, for riches don't last forever. Know the state of your flocks. Anybody got a flock? No. But you've got a savings account. But you've got a checking account. Know the state of those, because those riches will not last forever. You need to keep up with it. Uh, so don't let that go by. So we got to keep working on it, not only work on the budget, but just a few other thoughts here real briefly. Work to increase your income. I think this is often overlooked. And so many, like we, we finally find the job, you know, that we, that we kind of feel some stability with, and then we just kind of stay. We kind of plateau. And, uh, and if you love that job and you're passionate about it, it just doesn't pay well, it's just what comes with uh, the territory, then, then, uh, then God bless. But I would say in most environments, uh, you have an opportunity to work to increase your income. A few ways you can do that is one, a side hustle. Anybody got a side hustle in here? I'm, I'm a side hustler, right? I'm a side hustler. 
my, my dad, uh, side hustle when I was a kid is he'd pick us up from school and he'd take us to these five or six lawns that he mowed every single week. And that was his side hustle. And we just, we watched it with our eyes, what a side hustle looked like. Even today, he's got a side business that he runs and it's a side hustle. My father-in-law, all through Terrence growing up uh, years, he, his side hustle was uh, cleaning windows and cleaning carpets. And he found something to do that he could make uh, ends meet to feed those teenage mouths that are a little bit bigger and a little bit hungrier that, than they were when they were four. You know, the, food, the, the grocery budget has changed, but your income hasn't change. Something's got to change or else we're going to be in, in, in trouble. So uh, the side hustle is, is one way to do it, to work, a, pick up a side job. But as um, a recovering workaholic, I just want to tell you side hustlers, have a, a purpose for your side hustle. Um, hustling for hustling's sake doesn't get us very far down the road. It might actually just cost us more than what it actually gains us in our finances. It might actually cost us in our family. And I realized that, and I, I knew I had to change some things, uh, not only um, uh, about seven years ago, but a few years ago, about three years ago, we were working our table business, our furniture business that many of you are, are familiar with, and we, uh, we chose to really take a step back because it was, it was killing us. And I found this Proverbs, for those of you that are hustlers and you've got your side hustle, uh, Proverbs 23.4 says this, New Living, don't wear yourself out trying to get rich. Be wise enough to know when to quit. Be wise enough to know when to quit. So even if you're, hey, we're going to work this side hustle. You're going to work yours. I'm going to work mine. And we're going to work it until we get this debt paid off. And once it's paid off, like we're going back to normal business hours where we can get back to health. If you do it for five years, for 10 years, like you're going to look up and you're going to be burn out and, and have a purpose for it, okay? So uh, that's one thought is uh, pick up a side job. The other thing is ask for a raise. Ask for a raise. I I think this is one that um, we really need wisdom on because how many would like a raise? Everybody in the room says amen. Yes, I would love uh, a raise, but how are we supposed to do that? How should we go about it? Well, one I would say is um, know your value and know your worth. I, I think a lot of us, we're afraid to ask for a raise because, um, because we're insecure, um, but we, some of it, I think, may, may come back to uh, we don't think that our value is that, that great, you know, and, you know, eight, nine, ten, nine, whatever it is, that, that, that's all I'm worth. And so I just say know the opportunities to, to do it. So, so know your own worth and know your opportunities. Make the most of those opportunities and, and to use wisdom and when to ask and who to ask. So after you've accomplished a big project or you've gotten a pat on the back and, and say, hey, you're doing a great job. I really appreciate you. One of those type of things. Well, in the next week is probably a good time while it's fresh on their mind how awesome you are that you come around and you pat them on the back and say, hey, um, is there a time we can set up uh, to just talk about my compensation? And they'll probably laugh it off. Or whatever. But it allows them, I think that's a way you can honor your boss and say, hey, I, I want to have this conversation. You can think about it. You can think about my value. And if you come to that table and the answer is no, and or in six months or whatever, be okay with that. Be okay with that. Now, over a course of five years, 10 years, and, and that's not there, then you know, we probably have a, another conversation. I think here's where it goes into is the last thing is to look for a new job. We live in a very strong jobs market right now. 4% unemployment is, is pretty strong uh, given our, our history. And so that means there's a lot of jobs. I feel like every business I walk in, it says they're hiring. <laughs> like I just do. Everywhere. They're hiring somewhere and they're looking for good people. And I'm looking at good people right now. And so if you find yourself in what feels like a dead end job, the best time to look for a job 
is when you have one. And so go look, go look. There is something out there, and I'm, I'm trusting and believing. Like, we would love to pray with you over those things that God would provide a door, uh, open a door with more flexibility, with better pay. I just believe that God can do that because we're diligent, we work hard, we're God's people. We're the Fathom fam, that's, and that's how we, uh, we do this thing. The last thing on just working, keep working on it, is not just work to increase income, but work on attainable short-term goals. Keyword, Attainable. Attainable. Oh, we're going to pay off the house. Like, sweet. Like, that's going to take you a while. Like, why don't we work on something a little more short-term and keep checking in on that? Set one to three attainable short-term goals. So just think about that in your own life. What's your short-term goal we need to do first? What do we need to do first? Dave Ramsey says, knock out the smallest debts first and just keep knocking those out. And he calls it the debt snowball. And anything that you knock out, you roll that over to pay off more debt. And you just keep rolling over to pay off more more debt until you begin to experience financial freedom. So you got to get in financial peace to get the rest of that. But um, work, work on some short-term goals. Write those down. Check in on them and uh, see how you're doing. Uh, the last thing is to, to start is to start sowing. Stop digging. Keep working on it. It's not going to happen overnight. And to start um, sowing. If you're in this house and you're a sower, uh, you're an investor in your long-term planning in retirement. So let me add that there. I'm going to talk about the kingdom, sowing in the kingdom. But your long term uh, as well, I think that's a place we, we sow and, and we don't pull it. Like when the tides get rough, like that's, that's wisdom. That if those that pulled it, kind of when things got hairy in the financial, the, the most recent, you know, um, recession that we experienced, people that pulled retirement and stuff, and some of you are probably in this room, you lost, you lost a lot in it. But if you would have hung in there through those four or five years and actually kept sowing into it, it would have kind of multiplied and you would have been way better off. But we get skittish, don't we? We get skittish because we don't want to, the sowing thing, we start it, but it's the continuing it. Uh, that's the hard part. So I'd say sow into your own future. Um, every person that, that maybe is in this room in your 40s, 50s, 60s, 70s, uh, in this room, um, the vast majority of folks look back and say, I wish I would have started earlier. I wish I would have done a little bit more in my years when I had less bills. I wish I would have started more earlier because I'll save the, the uh, illustration for another day, but the numbers are you know, absolutely extravagantly different. If, if we start early, the, it's, it's multiplication. It builds uh, over time. And I'd say the same thing about sowing into the kingdom. It, it builds over time. And it doesn't just build in a way that's just our bank accounts, okay? And God has blessed it and opened so many doors and blown our mind uh, financially that honestly had nothing to do with any wisdom we had other than just following the simplicity of God's word and being faithful in that, honestly. Like, it, it doesn't come from that. I, 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 I have trouble telling those stories a lot of times because I, I don't want to draw attention to how God's blessed us, but I, I want you to know is that God wants blessing in your life. He does. He is for you. He is not against you. Um, and I don't want to draw any attention to any blessing we've ever, ever received. But in this, when it comes to money, we always feel like God's trying to get something from us, and he's not. Like, what does he need? What, what's he need? He doesn't, he doesn't want to get something from us. He wants something for us, and he wants freedom, and he wants our heart, and he wants our relationship, and that's what this whole thing is about. And when we start sowing in the kingdom, our heart starts looking a lot more like his heart because he sowed everything, his only a son, so that we might know relationship, and we might know abundance, and we might know life 
to the fullest. We might experience freedom and it will set us free. Here's just a handful of Proverbs here. Proverbs 11, 24 through 25. Give freely and become more wealthy. Be stingy and lose everything. Well, that about says it. The generous will prosper. Those who refresh others will themselves be fresh, refreshed. If you help the poor, Proverbs 19, 17, if you help the poor, you're lending to the Lord and he will repay you. And if you help the poor, you're lending to the Lord. I just read that one. Nailed it. Nailed it. <laughs> Proverbs 28, 27, whoever gives to the poor will lack nothing, but those who close their eyes to poverty will be cursed. Honor the Lord with your wealth and with the best part of everything you produce, your first fruits. Uh, then he will fill your barns with grain and your vats will overflow with good wine. I just want to ask you, is the posture of your heart open-handed or closed-handed? Posture of your heart. Not what you're actually doing, because I think you can actually be sowing into the kingdom, but your heart's very closed. And what the scripture says is like, that's no good. That's no good. He, he, he's looking for uh, a joyful giver. That's what he's looking for, someone who, who's joyful, who, who's not doing it, oh, God, I hope you show up. No, no, no. He wants us to do it in faith. No, no, God, I believe you're going to show up. I believe you're going to bless. And even if I don't see it financially, God, I'm going to see it in the righteousness and the, and, the, and the consecration of my heart that trusts you solely over everything. And so what's the posture of your heart? Is it closed-handed? Is it open-handed? Because as long as it's closed-handed, not only uh, can, can that seed not be planted for how God's going to use it in his kingdom, but God can't bless and put something else in your hand. Every single time that I'm faithful to open the hand, he's faithful to, re, to refill it. Quick story, and, I, and I'll save names here, but uh, some of you know uh, I posted it on, on social media this week. I have a, uh, as well as my car being you know, super old, our, uh, my computer, I've had a laptop for about 10 years. A 10-year-old laptop is an ancient dinosaur, right, most of the time. And so I've had this uh, laptop, and she's been hanging on by thread, and, and I'm going to clear it, try to upgrade it, and, and make the most of it. Uh, but not too long ago, my mom gave me a computer. It was, uh, it was newer than mine, but not brand new, and it was a desktop computer. And honestly, I, I didn't really know what I was going to do with it, but I was like, I'm going to find a place for it, and I'm thankful for it. And God uh, I just had somebody in my path that week, and and uh, God really op opened the door and said, that, hey, I, I just really need a computer. Um, you know, that'd be nice to have. And so I just said, hey, take it. I mean, it's, it was an expensive desktop com computer, a Mac. And so I, I just gave it. Didn't think anything of it. I mean, I didn't lose anything. It was given to me. And so I just opened my hand and just gave it. And uh, even though I had kind of a few ideas of how I wanted to use it here or at the house. And uh, fast forward uh, several months, uh, two or three months now, and I throw this out there, and I'm just like, hey, kind of looking for a good deal. Somebody selling something. And, uh, you know, my hand's been open. My hand's been open. And, uh, and this week, somebody reached out and said, hey, I have a, I've got this, you know, brand new uh, MacBook Air. And, uh, you know, we're going to give it to you if you want it. Uh, it's just sitting here. We're not using it. And what's crazy is it's from the same family that I gave that, just a different person in the family, same person that I opened the hand to take it. God brought that back with, not a, with, a newer, <laughs> with a newer one. So like God's just awesome in that. And so I'm not telling you to practice something um, or I'm not preaching something that I, I don't practice and I haven't seen God's favor and blessing in my life. And so trust him with what's in your hand. When your hand's open, we're trusting him. When it's closed, 
or not. And when it's closed, uh, we don't experience gratitude. We don't experience contentment. We don't experience joy and delight because it is more blessed to give than to receive. And so I want to pray for you. Uh, We're each on our own journey. Grass isn't greener on the other side. It's greener where you water it. And so we're on a long-term journey together. And here's my vision for our church when it comes to financial freedom is that this house is so full of people who are so financially free. Uh, When someone comes to us and says, hey, uh, within our body, it it may be your child that's, you know, eight years old right now. Uh, When she's 18 and says, hey, I feel like God's called me to start this ministry in downtown urban parts of our city to bless and help these people. Like we as the church can be like, we believe in you. We've watched you over the past 10, 15 years grow in the Lord and we're gonna make that happen today. And we're so financially free in this house that we pick up an offering and that's gonna allow her to quit her little whatever side job and she is released to do that full time and just think of the lives that are gonna be changed from that. Can you just imagine being a part of a church like that? that we can do that and we can see ministries just start all over the place that because we're all trusting and sowing together in our what seems small, it, it becomes big over time and we, we get to start, the seeds get bigger when we sow them together. Come on, just think about that. What, what a dream that God's given us, a vision um, that's for this body and I believe for the city and God's gonna accomplish it. I'm trusting him for that, but he's gonna accomplish it as we trust him with what's in our hands. I want to ask you to stand, and we're going to pray. I just want to pray over you, and this band's going to lead us um, in a short song. God, I thank you for this time, uh, for these people, God, for every situation, every circumstance that's represented here. God, you know what's going on. Uh, You know the fear. You know the doubt, God. You know the anxiety. You know the debt that some of us are up against. But God, would you help us experience freedom? Would you help us, God, begin to be people who love to refresh others, God, who love to give gifts to the poor, God, are people who love to see the impact of the kingdom in this house and all across the city, God, we know that we were some small part about it, and as we do, God, as we open our hands, would you transform not just our counts, God, in fact, for me personally, I don't care if you ever change that, God, what I want is just for me to be more like you that you would do more transformation in my heart, God, that you would make me a giver like you're a giver. God, would we see that? Would we see the picture that you're a good father and you know how to give good gifts? If we knew how to give good gifts, you do even more, God. Would you help us today? We worship you. We thank you for your faithfulness. In Jesus' name. Amen. There's going to be folks at the crosses, and maybe you're going through some stuff in your heart where it feels closed off, and I'm not delighting, and I'm I'm not joyfully giving, or or maybe we've got some relational things we're working through, physical ailments that you're working through. These folks would love to pray with you as we worship and sing here. Uh, Let's worship.